If you are visiting with us, welcome. My name is Rick, and we're very happy that you have chosen to join us here and worship with us at Portico. Can we say welcome to all of our first-time guests? We know every week there are people that join us for the first time, and so thank you. You're our, you are our guest, and we are happy to have you here. And we know that there's many that are joining online for the first time as well. And you've joined us in the middle of a series this summer called Hidden Treasures, and we are looking at some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament as well as some of the smaller books in the New Testament. We often work our way through a series or a book, and so we're looking at some of the larger uh, texts and and, and books and authors, but in these, uh, in, in these series, in this series over the summer, uh, we're going to be able to go through one at a time some of the books that we don't often get to. And today, we're going to be fast-forwarding from the Minor Prophets, and we're going to go into the New Testament, into the book that nobody likes to say because nobody really knows how to say it. We're gonna, it is the book of Philemon. There are three syllables, and you can pronounce it any way you want this morning. Grace for everybody, okay? You can call it Philemon or Philemon or whatever you want to call it. You call it that. Ask Siri. She will answer it 100%. She never gets anything wrong. <laughs> no, it is, we believe it's pronounced Philemon. So it's the best way to pronounce it, but again, uh, we had lots of different understandings of that word. And he actually is being written a letter from the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing to us about our, today, about our topic for today, which is paying it forward. And uh, how many of you have ever done anything you've paid it for? Like you've bought somebody something in line at Starbucks or Tim's. or Yeah, you've, you've done something that, that, that paid it for because you were done something good for you. I, I remember when I was buying a home here in Mississauga, um, which is not possible to do anymore, but back, back when you could buy homes in Mississauga, uh, it was, <laughs> sorry if you're in real estate or buying a home, but, but back, back in the day when you could buy homes in Mississauga, uh, we, were, we, were, <laughs> we were selling our, we were in a semi and we were moving into, our, we were moving into a, a detached home. We were really excited about it. And of course, it's very, very expensive. And our real estate agent came to us with this amazing offer that they had put into their programming is that it was called pay it forward. And they were obviously, the real estate agent that's selling is going to take their payment and that's how they fund their business. But it was a big chunk. And what the offer was, was every hour that my family volunteered in the community over the course of the next year, we were going to have money rebated back to us as part of our home purchase, and then we could then go and do something good with that money. And we thought, that is an amazing offer. So we did the community tree planting up in Lisgar. We do that every year. And we coached soccer, and we volunteered at the church. We did everything so that we could save some money, but then repay it back into the community. And what, what a fantastic way that, 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 our, that our real estate agent was doing that. And just great idea. And th- there's all kinds of great ways that you can pay it forward. And we asked you this week on social media, Hopefully you are following along with our social media because every week we do want you to contribute to the service and give input into the topic that we're looking at. And we asked you, what's the best way to pay it forward? 
And we had some very interesting answers. Uh, So we had one that is a very spiritual answer. Be aware of the needs around you and do what you know God wants you to do. This person is, is regularly praying and saying, God, what would you have me do so that I can show love and pay it forward? This next person's a little more uh, practical, tangible. They said, even when you're broke, just pay it forward. <laughs> this person's looking at the bank account and going, it doesn't matter, I'm paying it forward, what I'm supposed to do. And then this, this one probably sums it up to, the best way to pay it forward is to help or to give without expectations. Well, when we jump into the book of Philemon, Paul is teaching how the life of a Christian is about living a life that pays forward what Christ has given to us. What we have received from God is what we should give to other human beings that we share this world with. And it sounds like a concept that most of us can agree on. That, yeah, we should treat other people the way that God has loved us. It, it, it sounds like something that's, that's basic and that we should base our lives on. But as we unpack this letter, we will see that what is in Philemon and that concept of paying it forward is actually one of the hardest things you will ever be asked to do. So let's jump into Philemon. You're going to want to open your Bibles. There is only one chapter, so we will be in chapter one. The key verses we're looking at are verses six through 19, but let me give you a little bit of context for this letter. Paul is writing this letter. Paul is in jail writing this letter. Um, He is writing it to uh, Philemon, who is probably in the Colossian church. We don't know 100%, but he's probably in the Colossian church in the city of Colossae. It's a church that Paul established. Philemon is probably a church leader of some sort, and he probably came to faith. Well, we can say more than probably. He came to faith because of Paul's teaching, because Paul established that church first. So, so Paul is speaking to one of his disciples, one of his converts. We can make some assumptions about Philemon's life, that he was a Roman citizen, because he had some wealth, and in fact, he owned slaves, or he had servants who were also, who were called slaves. There's some different interpretations of that word, but at some level, Philemon had, um, Philemon had direction or ownership over the life and the well-being of an individual who we're going to look at, and his name is Onesimus. And Onesimus had run away uh, he, he was supposed to be working for Philemon, and he left. He ran. He ends up in Rome somehow, and he becomes a believer. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, and he's also spoken to Onesimus. And he's wondering, can these two individuals find a way to pay the love of God forward in their life and in the lives of people around him. So fascinating conversation that we're going to have today. If you're taking, if you want the notes or all of the scriptures, make sure you download the Portico app. Every week, our message prep team, we come together and we have more content than we could possibly cover in half an hour. So there's some, always some extra verses in there that are just there for interest sake and some things we didn't get to. So all of the points, all of the verses, they're right there in your Portico app. But let's jump right in. Three thoughts for you today about paying it forward. And the first is this, that we need to embrace others the way that Christ embraced us. Paul is introducing a concept in this letter uh, of, uh, of koinonia. And that is a church word. How many have heard the term koinonia before? You've heard this word. You have some sort of idea of what it is. And we have interpreted it as fellowship. 
And to pay it forward is the concept of koinonia. But we have, we have westernized it. Even if you didn't grow up maybe in the Western Hemisphere, North and South America, we have westernized the understanding of fellowship in most of our churches into a very low understanding of the word. When most people say fellowship, you think of food after the service, right? Now, just be honest. You think, if we're going to have fellowship, has anyone been to a church or gone to a church where there was a fellowship hall? Now, be honest, yeah. You so that is the place where you have food after the service. Okay. Bad understanding of the word. Let's just, let's just be honest. With you. It, is, it is something that we've, we've kind of massaged for our own understanding. Koinonia is family partnership, brothers and sisters, the family of God. This is what it is. And it's sacrificially loving people who were once not family as though they are now family. This is, this is what this word means. So when we get into verse 6, as Paul's writing this letter to Philemon, he says, I'm praying, Philemon, that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you, understood, as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Again, this is, this is a concept that makes sense to us. We shouldn't just believe something. We should put it into action. And if we don't put it into action, this family, this koinonia, this partnership, then we will never experience all the good things that were intended for us to experience in Christ. And although we agree with it, some of our faith lives are not characterized by it. Faith, our belief in Christ, is not just about us. Our faith in Christ means that we are part of a family. And, it, and if you never live out your faith as part of a family, if you're doing this, like, I believe what I want to believe, and I live my life as I want to live my life, if you never do it as part of a family, you are missing an essential part of what was intended for you as a follower of Jesus. Now, this is a fascinating discussion to have in a church like ours. We have three campuses. The church is meeting in three locations this morning. We are meeting here in Mississauga. The same group, Portico, is meeting in Milton, studying the same thing. The same group, Portico, is meeting in Brampton, studying the same thing. And we have people all over the world who are joining us online, all studying what it looks like to have family partnership together. We have done studies in the church over the years, and we have found, at times, we have had over 90 different nations represented in this family with different expectations of what family looks like, all trying to make sure the other one lives family the way that we would want to interpret it. Now, now some would feel if we're really going to be a family and we're really going to have fellowship, we need to have more parties. Who is in that space? You're like, as a church, Portico, we don't party enough. We need to have breakfast and we need to have barbecues and we need to, and now for starters, we've had like a barbecue or a cake under that tent for like every week since the middle of May, I believe. But the, the tent has been a great place uh, over COVID. We, we have learned fellowship on a greater way. But, but some of us feel we're not doing fellowship unless we're having food together. So we're missing it because we're doing all of these individualized events. Not true. Remember, <laughs> this is the, a lower level understanding of it. But, but some of us are fighting for us for that. Some of us will say we're not having fellowship unless we have formalized groups that are together. 
or we're not having fellowship unless, until I know everyone's name, we're not having fellowship. Again, fascinating conversation to have in our church because you could know the name of, of all, of everyone in this room here. You could know every one of their names. And I'm going to tell you something, you know then maybe one third or one quarter of the church. <laughs> Because there was a whole other group that were here before you sitting in your chair thinking the same thing, thinking I know everybody in the church and you have no idea who they are and they have no idea who you are. (laughs) And there's people in different cities and there's people joining online and we're all family and we need to, this is an essential part of who we are. So how do we do this when we don't know each other? (laughs) It can't be through barbecues and it can't be through, and it can't be through social, and it can't be through knowing everybody's name. And this is what we're going to get to today. But, but this is a part of it. So in, in, in a church like ours, what is critical is that you are known somewhere. Is that people know your life. That you journey with people through life. This is what we talk about when we talk about growth groups. This is not a program that we're trying to say, hey, we want to fill numbers. This is part of our faith expression. If you've never joined your life with other people so that they know you, they know you, you know them, and you're journeying together, then you're missing an essential part of your faith. In, in fact, over COVID, this was, this was demonstrated so clearly that people who were in a growth group were connected with another group of people reported so much more highly satisfaction with their faith walk than people who were trying to do it alone because we were so isolated. But people who were intimately connected with other people found, wow, I'm still having a rich expression of my faith life. But, but maybe you're not in a growth group, but you're journeying together with, with a group or a family of ministry partners. And maybe you're like the tech team that shows up every Sunday here at 6.30 in the morning and getting things going and you have that shared experience and you have the, the, the failures of the tech system and then you have to scramble to get ready and then you have planning meetings during the week, but you're journeying together. And it's in these journeying moments that we actually experience the highs and the lows of our faith. Last night, I was able to be together with, there was a, it was a birthday in my neighborhood. We were over at the Millers, and we got to celebrate Mother Forrester's 95th birthday last week, right? Or today, I guess. And it's, you know, I, I, she's been someone in my life for, for 20 years that has corrected or encouraged or prayed and it's, 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 because, it's because of relationship and connectedness. And we were able to go over to the Millers, who I, was, who I also known for 20 years and been in a neighborhood for 20 years and got to be a youth pastor to Jordan and to Zoe and watch it. And Jordan's hanging his head. Don't hang your head on me, man. And watch, watch these guys grow up. And now Zoe's having a baby. And my goodness. But this is, but th- this is stuff you don't get unless you, unless you have relationship and you journey together, right? And I don't know all of your stories. And I will never know everyone's story. And you'll never know all of my stories. But somebody better know your story if you want to be a follower of Jesus. Because if you don't have those stories, then, then you're going to miss these moments. And others in the church, I know we're celebrating in the Samson family a funeral yesterday, the loss of David. So we had celebrations. And we had, we had times of mourning. But this is what church, this is what Christianity looks like. It is not about, well, I believe what I believe. It is about koinonia intimately journeying together. And now in this digital world, let me talk directly to our our crew online. We love our online campus, right? We love our, 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 yeah, we love our online campus. 
It is critical if you are participating online that you are connected into the family. And I don't know how you do that. Some of you do that through a growth group online. Some of you do that with some people in your own neighborhood connected with, with a growth group or a small group. But if you just watch, if you just consume, if you spectate, you are not really expressing your faith in the way that Paul taught. And you can, you can spectate in person, you can spectate online. But what's, what's interesting, as I said, for a church like ours, meeting in three locations and online at multiple times, we need to figure this out. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be koinonia family when we have shift work, online church, and different expectations of what it looks like to be family? Here's what's critical. That we never discredit or undervalue anyone else's expression of what family is. If you assume that family koinonia looks one way and it doesn't look in this way that other people are expressing it, we're missing something here. Because we have 90 cultures. <laughs> we have multiple campuses. I want to do a little experiment. Let's just watch this. How many people were born before 1940. You're in, the, you're in the builder's generation. Just put your hands out. I know you don't want to, but we want to celebrate you. Where are you? 19, you're born before 1940s. We, have any, we don't have any before 19... Oh, we have a few. Come on, give it up for our... We do have many. I know we do. We had a bunch in the first... You're, you're in the builder generation. It's important that you express this family and we find out what does the family expression look like for our builder generation. What about our baby boomers? You're born between 1940 and 1965. Where are you? Wave at me, wave at me. You guys built our society. Yeah, hi, hi. (laughs) We love our baby boomers. Where's our Gen Xers? 1965 to 1979. Where are you? I'm going like this. Yeah, we got our Gen Xers here. Yeah, nobody's clapping for us. You see that? We've always been hated. Nobody's clapping for us. We'll clap for ourselves. Come on, yeah. Where's our millennials? 1980, 1995. Where are our millennials? Yeah, you guys have been dogged for years, but we love the millennials. Our millennials, listen, you're old enough and you have enough responsibility now. You start dogging other people, okay? Don't let anyone dump on you as, as millennials. Where is our Gen Z's? 1995 to 2012. Where are you? Where are you? Come on. And we have our alpha generation, a, a sixth generation, some who are 10 years old, who are having impact in our society. Our world has never had this before. We have never had to function this way before. So we cannot look at different generations and say, your expression of family is not good because it doesn't work for me. Uh-uh. <laughs> and we can't say, it has to include, no. Paul is saying, Come together without forcing and be family. Let's look at verses 8 and 14. It's not going to be on screen. It is in your notes. But look at Philemon, verse 8. He says, this is why I'm boldly asking what a favor of you. He doesn't demand it. He says, I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's right for you to do to be family. But go down to verse 14. I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted to help you because you were willing not because you were forced. Here's where we get it wrong as followers of Jesus. We understand something and then we say, I'm going to make you do that. (laughs) Because I've understood it, you have to do it. Because I do it this way, you have to do it. It's not what Paul said to Philemon here. He's teaching that because of relationship, I see the need for koinonia, but I'm making a request, not a demand. 
It is the same way that God has relationship with us. He does it at his expense on our timeline. Think of this. God sacrificed for us and he waits on our timeline to receive that family relationship. When we are trying to have family relationship as a church, it is at our expense on your timeline. So my expense, somebody else's timeline, never forced, but invited into that kind of relationship. It is, it is how Jesus taught. It's in Matthew 7 and 12. Put it on the screen. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence that is all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This kind of love, this kind of family is, is, is never forced. Love is never forced. Love is experienced. And we need to embrace the concept of koinonia with an experience that is offered. Okay, let's keep moving. I'll be here forever. And we need to go a little bit deeper on this, our second thought. So we have to have this same kind of relationship, but we need to offer the same forgiveness that was offered to you. This is where we get into the heart of the letter between Philemon and Onesimus, and we move past the concept of relationship. Because sure, I can be family with people whom I like, and I can be family with people whom, you know what, I just have a few generations between us, so we have some different preferences, but we can get over that. We have maybe, hey, we've, we've grown up in different cultures, so we see the world a little bit differently, but yeah, we can get, we can get past this. Paul requests Philemon to extend family koinonia love to Onesimus, who was his slave, who left him, who cost him, who abandoned him. And he's expecting the same thing of Onesimus, who was being treated as a slave by a person who was claiming to be a follower of God. These are not people with cultural differences. These are not people with generational difference. These are people with real stuff, real hurt, real gap in between them and conflict. And the koinonia relationship extends directly to people who have hurt me and who have wronged me. And this is what makes koinonia Christianity so different. The birthday parties I go to are not just the people that I like. <laughs> it is the people who are actively against me. That's what koinonia family Christianity looks like. It's not potato salad after the service. It's mourning with people who are mourning for no other reason than they are followers of Jesus. And if he gave, loves them and forgives them, then so do I. And you and I don't get to choose who deserves forgiveness and who doesn't. If God does, then you do. If God does, then I do. And it's because we're family. Here's what Paul teaches to Philemon, verses 9 and 10. Because of our love, Paul says to Philemon, it's because of our love, I simply, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you, show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. So Paul says he became the father. So what we are assuming is that Onesimus leaves Colossae, goes down to Rome, and he's, while he's in Rome, he's going to a house meeting. Paul's under house arrest, so he's probably still having house church, and he comes to faith in one of Paul's house meetings. So Paul, again, he doesn't demand this out of Philemon, even though he could. He says, I'm not going to. 
I'm going to ask that you would act as brothers, act as family. Love is never imposed. Love is experienced. And when you try to impose love on somebody, they do not experience it as love. Let me tell you, this is the church has blown it over the years. And I include myself and us. We have blown over the years because we're saying we want to extend love and we do it in a forceful way. Love is not imposed. Love is received and experienced. And Paul appeals to Philemon. He says, the love that you've experienced from God, can you offer that to Anisimus? And then, and then Paul gets a little funny. I like this. And you're not going to get the, the nuance of this unless you have your Bible open. But he changes from just regular text to block capital letters. And here's what he writes. I write this with my own hand. I will repay the debt. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Well, if you mention that you're not going to mention it, you're actually mentioning it, Paul. So I don't know what you're doing. So he kind of changes it from a request to a bit of a demand there. But, but he's saying, whatever Onesimus has cost you, if it's money, Philemon, fine, I'll repay it. But it's because for the sake of the family, of brothers and sisters of Christ, this is what you need to do. Now let's apply it to our lives. Many of us sitting here today have some very real hurt and some of us from people of faith. Some of us have very real hurt from people maybe sitting in this room. And we wish it were never so, but life is not that way. It was not that way for the Colossian church. They, were, they had this stuff between them. So it's definitely not that way, or, or definitely is this way for Portico. And if you were honest, there are people whom you see in a hallway or an, 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 in a cubicle at work or somewhere, you see them and you want to walk the other way because they've hurt you. There's a concept going around right now that's very common. People say, I have, I have church hurt. What is, my, what is my church hurt? I love Jesus, but I don't really want to go to church because people at church have hurt me, so I'm doing my faith alone as an individual and I don't really engage in church. And this is the life that Philemon and Onesimus are living. They don't want to have relationship at church. So they're, they're trying to navigate how do, they, how do they do this. And it's led many people in our day and age to go, you know what? The church is not safe. This family is not safe. So then we determine because it has not been safe, it is not important for me. Oh, what did we just do here now? We've just, because I experience hurt, I don't have to do what's been instructed of me. Wow, uh oh we're in dangerous part now. Because koinonia family relationship is, is not an option. <laughs> it's critical to experiencing everything we have in Christ is, is family. So what is our step? Let's go to the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Just reflect on those words for a minute. Christianity is not for the faint of heart, is it? 
if you have been mistreated even to the point of being a slave, forgive. Oh, if you've been wronged by someone, it has cost you, it has hurt you, forgive. Because in the same way that we forgive others, our Father forgives us. Church hurt, it, 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 relates to, it relates to a lack of forgiveness that is in the family of God, both giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. That this is, this is why this exists. And the church should be the safest place for anyone to show up and just be real and say, I can be accepted and loved by God and he will, he will refine me. And Dwayne spoke about that when he was encouraging us during the time of worship. But, but it hasn't been. <laughs> so then we back away from church. You know what church should also be? Follower of God? It should also be the place where you offer forgiveness for any mistake that any, any offense that has been taken against you. <laughs> as safe as it should be for you, you should be forgiving as much. I told you, this is, the, <laughs> this is the hardest thing we will ever hear is to love others the way that God has loved us. There is a call to righteousness and there is a call to mercy and they are both completely equal and we need to completely walk in those. And, and we are always remembering that it's never forced. It's an invitation, an invitation to family. And forgiveness is not optional in this family. And we'll use phrases like, well, you don't know what they did. <laughs> I'll forgive when they say sorry first. Those are not biblical concepts. Those are human constructs that say, when they forgive, I'll forgive. Or you don't know what they've done to me. And this is why God's love is not our love. And this is what koinonia is. It is not food after the service. God's love is simple to understand and takes a lifetime to learn to live. So we land today with this final thought. We need to extend the same relationship that was extended to us. We give relationship when it's undeserved. Because while I was still a sinner and I put stuff between me and God, you know what he did? He left heaven and he came down and died for me and said, I love you, Rick, even before I had even thought about turning my life towards him. So what, what we do is we find someone who doesn't deserve our forgiveness and doesn't deserve our love and we lay our lives down to make sure that they feel loved and forgiven. This is what Paul does advocating for Anisimus, a runaway slave who wronged, who, who wronged his friend. He wronged Paul's friend, right? Onisa, Philemon is Paul's disciple, is Paul's convert. And Onisimus wronged him and here's what Paul writes to Philemon in verses 16 and 17. He goes, here's what I want you to know. He's no longer a slave to you, Philemon. Stop it. He's more than a slave. He's a beloved brother, especially to me now. Now he means much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul says, in you, there's wrong between you, there's brokenness between you, and forgive. Drop it. <laughs> Paul directs him, love beyond your hurt. Love beyond the social classes and the social norms. And drop it all and just become brothers. 
the same kind of brothers that would have family together, that would be in small group together, that would attend 95th birthday parties together, that would attend funerals together, that would journey together. The, everything that society says should be separating you, you, you should be family. That's, that's who you should be family with. Paul says these differences can no longer be separators for you, Koinonia family of God. Love, care for each other. And that goes for all of us. Anyone that is part of this family is family that deserves grace and forgiveness regardless if you're online, regardless if you regularly attend another campus. We are, we, we are family together. This is, this is the relationship God gave you, so extend it to other people. And we're going to close our service. We're going to sing that, the heart of God. It's, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your mercy that triumphs over just, judgment. But I want to read for you, and we're not going to put it on the screen. You can read it later this week. I want to read for you the passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you're getting married or you were just married and you use this verse, I'm sorry, it's not a wedding verse. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a lovely verse to read at a wedding because it speaks of love. And if you're just getting married, you haven't really walked this out yet anyway. So you, it's a good thing to maybe prophesy over your life. But read this portion of scripture with the understanding of what koinonia love family partnership looks like. Love is patient and kind. What does that mean? Even if you have understood love and your brother or sister hasn't, you be patient. And while you are patient, be kind to them. Don't tell them they're wrong. You be kind to them. So love isn't jealous or boastful or proud or rude. So it doesn't, it doesn't tell them in a rude way or a, a puffed up way. It says, once you figure it out like me, you'll get there. It doesn't demand its own way. What does love do? It, it comes down from, from heaven. It leaves perfection to come be with us. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Ooh, but, but somebody's hurt me. It doesn't keep a record. And so we don't get to complain about how we were wronged. We just, we just love. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. So this is not our excuse to allow wrong and injustice in our world to continue, but what we fight for and celebrate is, is actually just truth. That's what we're fighting for. And love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures every circumstance. So we keep believing and loving and waiting for the time when love will change somebody's heart. We never quit. We fight for it. And then Paul ends that letter by saying three things will last forever. Faith and hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the pay it forward nature of Christianity. We love people how God loved us. Sure, we might buy $2 Tim Hortons, but we love people at our expense. Before the team sings, I want us to have a time of reflection, just, just quiet, because when, when, our, when our group got together to prepare this message, we thought, whew, this is heavy. <laughs> there is some real stuff in our life that we need to consider. Let's throw that reflection out, Matthew. Where do I need to extend love or grace or forgiveness? Because here's the thing. 
the world needs to know what true Christianity is. True Christianity has nothing to do with politics and political movements. We need to drop that. True Christianity has very little to do with megachurches and social media influences. Church is, is not, church is not the answer. The hope of the world is Jesus. And people will only know that they are loved when individuals, you and I, start loving other people in our world the way Jesus loved us. That's what's going to make the difference. When we love people that way. Some people needed to know that they were loved and they have a place in this family today. You're here and that's what you needed to know. God brought you here today to know you are loved and we will be patient and kind and loving. <laughs> some of us need to do some reflection. Who is it at work that needs your patience? You want to be a part of the family of God? <laughs> Somebody needs patience. Let's make it gritty. Who in your family needs grace? Who in your family right now are you just, just done with? You need to have grace. That's what Koinonia is. Who in this church needs your forgiveness right now? This is how we show love. Hmm. So I'm just going to give us some space, a few moments, just to consider and reflect and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to show us, how can I show love? And then we will respond corporately by saying, Lord, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's your mercy that triumphs over justice. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you as we reflect today.